Welcome to the Neo Jochuan Podcast. My name is Isaac Kamins. This is a bi-weekly podcast where I discuss internal martial arts, qigong, and meditation with my friend Jess O'Brien. This week we talk about... This week we continue our discussion on Bagua Master Magui. We talk about the characteristics of his particular style of Bagua. Then we talk about lineages versus the reality of the relationships and training. Uh, and finally, we and finally we discuss Magui's unique aspects of his training with Deng Hai Chuan and Yin Fu. Uh, then we move to talking about a lesser-known student of Yin Fu, uh, Li Yongqing, aka Iron Arm Li, who was Liu Hongzhi's main Yin Fu Bagua teacher. And this week in our Patreon, we wrap up our discussion on the spiraling energy body. We discuss external dissolving and moving into the eight bodies. The eight bodies will be the next series that we cover in the Patreon. So, so this is sort of a uh, introduction into that as well as a wrap up on the spiraling energy body. So check it out. Hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening and take care. According to Magui style teacher Li Baohua, the Baguazhang passed on by Magui emphasized the lower basin walking, so his lower legs were extremely thick. Lower basin walking means that the strength of the whole body is concentrated on the lower legs and feet, using the hidden strength of the bone and tendons. Magui's lower legs were so developed that the shin bone was completely protected by tissue. He would occasionally allow people to hit them with wooden or iron poles. Magui would often wear a sand-filled jacket on his body or a sand-filled belt around his waist for strength training and would attach ropes to nearby trees to make a netting and then train under the netting. The netting would ensure that he stayed low. Damn, it also said he would demonstrate his strength by Bagua circle walking underneath a three-foot high table. But uh, it also notes that, you know, this wasn't his normal training. Most of the time, he, he just walked and built up his leg tendons through countless hours of slow, concentrated circle walking in a horse stance that dramatically transforms the large tendon lines from the neck to feet and strengthens the entire body. But in terms of the legs, like, you know, it talks about lower basin walking where you squat while you walk and get real low. Mm-hmm. And, you know, me personally, like I don't have the strongest knees of being a Westerner or whatever. So I, I tend to walk in a higher posture or middle posture, but that low posture only, only when I feel like my legs are super like relaxed and I'm feeling at my best, I've found myself walking in the lower posture so, sort of naturally over, over the years, not like forcing myself, but when I feel my quad legs are, are feeling like, I don't know, they're, when they're feeling loose and I've been doing a bunch, I find myself sinking a little bit lower into my stance and like getting more grounded. All techniques can be done sort of by the high, middle and low stance. So generally when you're training for a more martial thing you do the low in the middle one and when you want to do things for health and you know whatever you do the upper in the middle because um different things are being engaged um and you have a different kind of movement right like when you're doing really low stuff um you're much you're solid you're, you're much more solid but you're not able to move as quickly where if you're in an upper mid-range, you're able to move easier, but you're not as solid. And so some of that is body type too. I mean, I, uh-huh, think, yeah. I think Mogwim was 
maybe five three, five four. I mean, he wasn't. Yeah, a, it sounded like he was a short, was stout old. type of guy. Well, there's only I've only seen one picture that's supposedly him, and he's pretty much the shortest guy in the picture. Um, and you know, the other people aren't like that tall either. So, um, I think you know he was wasn't a big guy. Neither was Leo Hong Jay for you know for what it's worth. But you know, I think that that was part of this you know, appeal of something like Bhagwan Jong to a little guy like that was that you could still do it and, you know, really get some, some power and, and be a badass even without being a big guy. Right. The mobility can be it to your advantage. So it says here on the wiki, Magui was most famous for his devastating fighting technique, a wrist strike with a straightened arm. Now I'm thinking that might be that crab technique. Like, with sort of a bent, like a crab's bent hand, arm, kind of like, I don't know. It says, yeah. according to third generation yin, mas- yin style master, Hei Poren, in order to practice his wrist striking, he would do a push up style exercise that involved him falling forward onto the floor, onto the backs of his wrists, Ouch. and then springing back up to a standing position, which he would practice repeatedly and could do with ease. He had bested many famous masters by using only his wrist striking. And you couldn't touch his body. If you did, you felt like you were being electrocuted. So there you go. So maybe, you know, cause you think of a crab, like when they bring the food in, especially they, they have that curved wrist yeah. kind of, so that, I could, mean, it, and a wrist strike can be badass if you hit at the right moment. Well, and there's all that coiling motion in Bagua. So it's, it, it lends itself again. To right. That kind there's of a lot of coiling. Um, like yeah. in, in Rosho, you push down on someone's arm, you could wrist strike up into their face real easy. If you sort of like flip off their arm. Yeah. I mean, there's, tons of techniques where you're using that sort of back of your palm wrist little bit of your forearm to smack people and i think that's one of the characteristics of yin fu's style of bagua is it has a lot of you know like the other guy iron arm lee his nickname is iron arm right hey you, like, you know the the, the Part of it is to develop this really strong, really right. intense kind of power. In Harsh your, power, yeah, with your arm. Strikes, you know. It also so, says that to further strengthen his technique, Ma was known to practice with 10-pound iron rings on each wrist. Again, that's just going to, you know, re- reinforce that ability to smash things with your palm and your <laughs> wrist. Yeah, I mean, it seems like that's a nice thing to have. Magui had a reputation for being an extremely conservative teacher who demanded the very best of his students. He did not teach professionally, and he was therefore able to maintain extremely high standards in training. Fiercely dedicated to the traditional way he had been taught Bagua, he refused to modify his teachings to make them easier and felt that anyone who thinks the skill is too difficult to learn should not be taught in the first place. So there's some uh, Bagua people can, you know, all Chinese martial arts people are known for having extremely high standards and incredibly harsh uh, attitude towards training. Well, and, and that's what I was saying earlier is that, you know, um, if you don't need the money, uh, there's no real reason to professionally teach martial arts. Right. Um, because if you can teach, teach it for fun and do it as a hobby and, uh you know pass it on to a few people who may really have the you know have done the preparatory work to be able to take what you've got and maybe even take it to the next level um it's a big investment and and i don't know i mean if if i didn't you know if i 
had a successful lumber business, I don't think I would teach martial arts. I'd probably just do it on the side for fun, you know? So right. It's, um, especially if, uh, you know, you're getting older and you're, you know, in your 60s and your 70s when people start really getting interested in what you're doing, you may not by that time really be, have a whole lot of interest in teaching a bunch of youngsters right the, the basics you know and and right so i think that'd, he was, that'd be a drag at that point right and so i think he was selective about who he taught and you know take i mean the only person we have any real connection with is leo and jay so i'll take him and you know by the time Magui was was like okay i'll teach you some stuff you know leo had been doing bagua for probably 40 years you know right. <laughs> so it's like it wasn't you know just now like, i'll teach you something right it wasn't some newbie you know coming through the door and i think that's you know similar to dung hai chuan yeah was, that's a bagua thing he was right? kind of like you know i'm i'm here i'm not here to coddle you and to take you you know to teach you how to move i'm here to if you want to you know if if you have the ability to receive what i'm putting out and you want to do the work i'll do it but if not yeah yeah and i think that's right. where that's just kind of a different uh mentality than we're sort of used to in the modern age because i mean i don't know of anybody who's like ah, oh, yeah i do this for fun and i have a thousand students right 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 you do it for fun you might have one or two people five maybe but if you're doing it yeah like if you want to spread a martial art into the world you've got to put it out there as a business and that's a whole different game than just you know practicing getting good and teaching a couple people right magui continued to train extremely hard well into his golden years and for sparring was said to favor the triple chuenjong spearing palm another famous technique that magui perfected when magui was in his 80s he would still train the triple chuenjong magui's body looked very light as if his feet did not even touch the ground so that sounds like it's when you just spear three times in a row with uh, with the baguas, you know, what we call drilling. I'm calling it spearing here, but twin, John, that's drilling. Sure. Those are nice. That's a face strike where you just advance relentlessly stabbing them in the face. I like that. I wanted to pull a little something from Magui's system of baguajong from the teachings of Liu Wan Chuan website, uh, maguibagua.ca. It says here that the Magua lineage is not simply Yin Fu style, though. Magui, although he did learn from Yin Fu, also learned directly from the founder, Dong Ai Chuan. Magui started to learn with Dong Ai Chuan when he was younger. And later on, Dong Ai Chuan lived with Magui. Magui was called Yin Fu student because he was the, the younger generation and because his father was good friends with Yin Fu. This kind of generational switching is common in the martial arts. Teachers, uncles, and brothers are often a hodgepodge of relationships. I thought that was interesting because as we've been exploring all these different masters during this, this second season of our podcast, like we're seeing that type of crisscrossing relationships where guys might've officially been a student of someone, but then they learn from someone else and, but they're the same age as other people. So they're kept in that group. Like there's different, there's different ways to interpret your position in the chart kind of. Yeah. Well, there's no like official, you know, record and, right everybody makes their own chart, right everyone so. has their own official record and your official teacher is the person you bow to and you get written down on their chart and you're part of their family but maybe later in life you train with other people who are even more influential so you have that connection as well and a lineage chart oftentimes will have a like it says here it's a hodgepodge of relationships i, I mean i can think of at least 
10 people right now off the top of my head who teach Kumar's stuff and never mention him once on their entire bio website, anything, but right. what, but what they're teaching is his Wu style, his energy gates, his Bhagwan John. And, you know, they just don't like him anymore. So they don't mention him on their websites, but you know, that happened back then too. Like, yeah, you, of course you have a falling out with your teacher. You're just going to delete them. their right. name from your, from your sure. website, but they're still your teacher. Like, like that doesn't change. You don't get to um, escape that easily. Yeah. You can't trust part of Chinese martial arts. Well, you just, just, yeah. And you have to, I mean, that's why part of what we do is we look at multiple sources because uh, one Nobody in martial arts ever says I learned from a nobody and he kind of sucked. You know, no one right. says no one says that. And no one says, uh, you know, my lineage is a bunch of guys who barely practiced. Right. Right. Um, so it's always my teacher is the best of his generation and he learned from the best of their generation. I mean, right. No, you know, that's just how it goes. That's just I mean, how it goes. And, and so what you're really looking at is that's why they say, you know, the, the proof isn't what the teacher does. It's what his students do, because if you can't teach it, it's not going to go anywhere. It's just going to die on the vine, you know, and, mm -hmm. and part of what makes a good teacher is you actually pass it on. You don't just beat up your students and look cool. And, and, uh, you know, so I think that, yeah, you know, lineages are, are, uh, at best a suggestion you know it's like right. of what happened you know because right. there's a lot between the lines of the lineage yeah pretty much so another thing it says here magui was a favorite of dong ai chuan since he was literate talented and had a good character and trained See, very hard of course he's his favorite right like they don't, <laughs> they don't say off oh, always has a favorite couldn't enough. stand the guy you know right like, right there are two ways that magui was special among dong ai chuan students Magui started with Dong Ai Chuan when he was 12, so he did not have the basics of other styles. He was the only one that got the lowest level basic training from Dong. All the others were skilled in other styles when they started. Secondly, Magui was not interested in other martial arts, unlike some of Dong's other students who liked to fight and compare styles. He liked to fight like the others, but not to learn any other styles. Perhaps because of this, he was one of the first generation apprentices who learned the most complete Bagua system. That's pretty good stuff. Yeah, but, but it did yeah. sound like he started as a kid. He's he's Dong Ai Chuan's youngest student. Is what right. He's I, th as. I think that's yeah. The the essential piece there is that he started with with Bagua and stuck with Bagua, mm -hmm. and he was the last one to come along because I mean he lived till 1940. Like very few of Dong Ai Chuan's students lasted that long. Yeah. Next, we wanted to look at another great Bagua master who's very little known in the Bagua world, but we found his name in the power of internal martial arts as part of Liu Hongjie's lineage. As a matter of fact, a pretty big part of his lineage. And he is a student of Yin Fu, one of, one of the greatest Bagua masters. And Yin Fu had a number of students, but the student known as Li Yangqing, Iron Arms Li, who we've mentioned a few times along the way, was one of Yin Fu's most important students. And he was Liu Hongjie's, Grandmaster Liu Hongjie's primary Yin Fu style teacher. Um, but he's been very difficult to find much about. Isaac, we haven't found life and death dates for, for Li Yongqing, have we? No, we have not. As far no. as we yeah, there's not much in I English about know. Master Li. Uh, so I mean, we can assume he's roughly the same age or a little younger than Magui, basically. 
as far as Lee Yong Ching's life and death dates, I think you're right that he's he's probably consistent with Ma Gui and the other students of Yin Fu. So maybe born in the late 1800s or probably born in the mid to late 1800s and then surviving into the early or mid 20th century. Um, but he's clearly his, you know, Ma Gui lives to 1940. I don't think Lee Yong Ching makes it that far. So somewhere during the the war with Japan era, I can only imagine, you know, he must have passed away at that point. Um, but it's that's all speculation. It was just such a war torn time period that lots of people were dying, probably, you know, tens of millions. So he may have been among them. Um, and the first thing I wanted to put out was from the Yinfu master Hu Jinbao, who teaches in Beijing. Um, we got a quote from one of his websites that said, many disciples of Yinfu became famous practitioners in their own right. Foremost among them was Ma Gui. He was followed by, in order of achievement, Li Yongqing, then Men Baozhen and Gong Baotian. So there's our, our mention of Li Yongqing. He's said to be second only to Yi Ma Gui in terms of Bagua expertise. That's a pretty high compliment. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I think he was widely known as uh, one of the top guys, but he just didn't really like, you know, leave much of a record. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like he was a badass if he was in second place to Ma Gui. Another thing we found was from an old interview with Shea Pei Chi from 1999. Shea stated that his own teacher, Men Bao Zhen, was considered to be the third best pupil of Yin Fu. He was, he was third, Ma Gui was number one, and the guy in second place was Wan Tong Li, otherwise known as Li Yongqing. Wang Tong is just... Uh... That's the name of his, his jewelry store, I guess. Yeah, he had a jewelry store. So Lee is known as Lee Yong Ching, and at other times, Lee Wen Tong, as well as Iron Arms Lee, is another of his uh, nicknames. So from Bagua Journal, we found, uh, from Bagua Journal in 1993, there's a, a small section on Lee Yong Ching. It says, Lee Yong Ching owned the Wan Tong jewelry store in Beijing, unless people called him Wan Tong Lee. Lee was known for very strong arms, and so people also called him Iron Arm Lee. On one occasion, when practicing with Yin Fu, Lee pressed Yin Fu's wrist with great strength. When Yin turned his palm over suddenly, Lee was thrown onto the ground three meters away. Yin Fu was known for his ability to stick to an opponent's force, borrow that force, and easily redirect the opponent. Lee Yong Ching also eventually developed this skill to a high level. So just examining that briefly, you stick to the opponent's force, you borrow that force, and then redirect the opponent to slam them down. Um, you know, that sounds typical of any Chinese martial arts going to try to do that probably, but it's yeah. easier said than done to stick to someone's force. So it sounds like he's just letting you push towards him and he's bouncing that to send you away somehow. Uh, yeah, I mean, so borrowing is where you take the other person's force and use that instead of your own right so you're you're not pushing against them with your own strength you're just kind of mm -hmm. they're sort of falling into it if you i mean i it. think of it as an example like if i push down on your arm you respond by pushing back up so i ride that up energy and whap you in the face maybe with a wrist strike from below like does that make sense is this this is what we're talking about borrowing the energy the first level of it is essentially like a tai chi thing where you're just yielding the second level of it is you're able to like sort of make contact with the person and follow them the third level is you're able to stick to them and 
very slightly direct what they're doing and move them in a direction so you're that's the um sticking right so you have the sticking which is where where you connect to the person and then borrowing is your so pulling them in right and that will move them off balance that's more like a tai chi technique for example that you're you're using a softer kind of thing yeah that's what it sounds like um but that's also just a smaller person type of technique right that mm. if the person's He's yielding somehow if the person's using a lot of strength well it's not yielding see that's the thing it's mm. it's there's a difference between sticking and borrowing and yielding yielding is physically coming into yourself i don't think that's what he was doing i think he was doing the thing where you sort of touch the person you stick you kind of attach yourself to them and if they move forward your whole body moves back it's not uh your hand coming towards your body Hmm. and so you're more like absorbing them or um redirecting them so you're sticking to what they're doing rather than collapsing under it you're sticking to it and taking it away from them not sticking to it and moving uh, back from it like you're, hmm. you're not collapsing into yourself or or letting them push you it's it still has a element of going into them even though you're moving away f- from them so it, the, the sticking part is where you're your mind is still going into their body, even if you're going backwards. So next, uh, it looks like Yin Fu and Liang Ching. Liang Ching was kind of an employee of Yin Fu's in the uh, in his bodyguard and, and caravan work. It says here, Yin Fu was hired by the government to work as a tax officer. Liang Ching worked along with him. Once when Liang Ching went to a temple fair, he witnessed a hoodlum taking liberties with the young woman. When he tried to stop the attack, the hoodlum wouldn't listen and turned on Li to fight. Lee blocked the assailant's attack, moved in close, and caught him with an elbow to the head. The hoodlum died as a result. Lee escaped going to prison only after an influ- influential eunuch who was close to Yin Fu intervened. Hmm. Whew, narrow escape, thanks to the eunuchs of the palace. It's interesting because when you talk about Yin Fu, the eunuchs keep popping up in the stories. It's clear that those guys held a lot of power and, and money and authority inside the palace somehow. Yeah, that was a period of time when they were um, they hadn't quite gotten the stigma of being bad guys yet. So they were <laughs> well, because eventually Unix got kind of this reputation as being right like, uh, corrupt, yeah, corrupt. And then, and I think at this time there was still a thing where they were. I mean, they well, he got him off on a murder charge. I was going to say that does sound a little corrupt. Pretty, pretty corrupt. <laughs> he did yeah. kill a guy with the elbow to the head. Uh, yeah. So they, 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 there was a, you know, a few were in some with, money changing, but I think there. that's also just like, uh, you know, it's like the modern day equivalent of like knowing a state senator or something. Right, right. Oh, hell yeah. All that stuff helps. So the story continues here. Although Li Yongqing was known to be close to the Yin family of Baguazhang in Beijing and known to be one of Yin Fu's top three disciples, he did not teach many students. And thus he is not well known outside of the Yin family of practitioners. While it is said that Ma Gui and Liang Ching had better technical skill than Men Bao Zen, Men was the inner door student who inherited Yin's complete system. So that's a whole nother side of the Yin Fu family. But again, the story here being Ma Gui and Liang Ching, uh, I mean, and uh, were, were the top two students of Yin Fu. And so they, he gets to keep that 
with his name forevermore. Pretty much most of what we know about the guy, like all we know is the there was a list of top students. Lee Yong Ching was one of them, and he taught Leo Hong Jae his Yin Fu Bagua. Yeah, I mean that's all. I mean that's, that's all, all we know. <laughs> that's as much as you know was ever relevant for me. I mean, me, I think but... in the Bagua that we train, you can see some elements of it that look like Yin Fu. There's some straight palms in there that and and swinging uh, arms that look like they could come from Yin Fu style. But you know, other than that, it, it's yeah. Hard I mean, to no, interpret. there, there. Well, there are a couple pieces of it that are very much deliberate, um, but they're sort of hidden within the Chen Tinghua form. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, yeah, that's how I'd see it. And you know, there is a set. Uh, I don't know if it's still on YouTube, but there used to be a set uh, of Leo doing a. Uh, what Bruce referred to as the willow leaf palm, which is actually just a linked uh, eight animal set. Mm, it's like linked the, postures, kind of. Yeah, they're the they're the yin fu postures just linked into a set. So that's the only you know evidence we have of him right. actually doing any kind of right. Thing. That's a little piece left over from that time period. It seems like. Um, so I wanted to end with one last story here. Translated from Joseph Crandall's work, with, uh, he, he translated Jingwu Magazine uh, 2006 article. When Yin Fu was teaching martial arts in the palace of the royal family, the chief palace eunuch, Kui Rugui, studied with him. A little later, the emperor himself also studied martial arts with Yin Fu. As a result, Yin Fu informally became the emperor's teacher. Kui Ringui, the... Uh, the eunuch studied with Yin Fu for several years. Just before New Year's, Kui went to Yin Fu's house to see his teacher. He held a check and said, please, teacher, use this money to buy wine to drink on New Year's Day. He visited for a little while and then left. Yin Fu had never learned to read. He was illiterate. So he took the check and put it aside and did not use it. A short while later, his student, Iron Arms Li Yang Ching, arrived. They drank some tea and chatted. Yin Fu said that Kui the eunuch had come by and had also presented him with several tales of silver. Saying this, he gave the check to Li Yongqing to look at. When Li saw it, he laughed and said, this is a thousand tales of silver. Yin Fu could not believe it. The two men went to the bank to cash the check. Yin Fu was extremely happy. Right away, he withdrew 10 tales and asked Li Yongqing to have a meal with him. After this, Yin Fu bought himself a house and lived a prosperous life. So he got paid off by the palace insiders. Nice. That's pretty. So he got he got Lee Young Ching off on the murder charge. Then he showed up and gave him a thousand tales of which I mean that sounds close. Could that be like a hundred thousand dollars or something nah, like that? Like no idea. Yeah, that sounds like a fat payoff. I mean that's yeah. a lot of silver. So it's and Yin Fu just rushes straight to the bank like let's go. Right. They go out and start boozing it up. Uh, well, that's right. a good way to close our our knowledge of. Uh, Leong Ching, you know, I mean, I like the iron arm part of it, and I hope to we can hear more stories about that in the future because there must be something behind that. That elbow strike maybe is part of it, but yeah, I hope more comes out about Leong Ching because it sounds action packed. Yeah, all right, man. Talk to you soon. Talk to you later. Hey, folks, thanks for listening in. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Just a reminder like and subscribe, check out the Instagram, um, check out the Patreon. The full Spiraling Energy Body series is out now. Uh, There's a couple clips of it on the YouTube page if you want to get a sample of it. Again, thanks for listening. Take care of yourself and be well.